You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Denim Audio Network. Hello and welcome again to the Way Home Podcast. I'm so glad that you're joining me today. This is Dan Darling, your host, and uh, glad to be with you for another really great episode. I'm excited about uh, the guest that is joining me today. Before we do that, I want to let you know again that my book, Agents of Grace, is available wherever books are sold. In this book, really talk about Christian unity, Christian love, forgiveness, how to avoid sort of the cynicism that I think is so prevalent today, particularly cynicism about the church. And, you know, sorting through what are the issues and particularly doctrines that Christians should really fight for and what are areas that we should have beliefs but should be a little bit more open-handed so we know how to prioritize our energy and our time as Christians. I think you'll like it. Agents of Grace, the forward is written by uh, Pastor J.D. Greer. You can go to my website, danieldarling.com, and click on the big banner there. Uh, It's available everywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, independent bookstores, wherever, so please get that. Today, I'm really excited to have back on the podcast Sissy Goff, uh, and I'm not sure if you know who Sissy Goff is, uh, but you should. Uh, she is a um, a Christian uh, psychologist, a therapist that has um, really ministered to a lot of children and families, uh, particularly in the Nashville area, but really around the country over the last uh, several decades. Uh, we lived in Nashville for uh, almost uh, a decade and um, really were blessed by Sissy and her team there. And I wanted to have her on for two reasons. One, she's got a brand new book uh, called The Worry-Free Parent, Living in Confidence So Your Kids Can Too. Some really great stuff about how to help our kids combat anxiety, which is really at an all-time high among uh, children and young people, but also uh, how to help them lean in and trust uh, the Lord in ways that will help guide their future. So that's the first reason I wanted to have her on. But the second reason is uh, Sissy was really at the epic center of the the tragic shooting that happened at the Covenant School in Nashville, a school with, with people that were very close to our family. Of course, Sissy Goff and her team were very close, uh, three miles away from the school, very intertwined with parents and family. She knew a lot of the folks there, and she was kind of there helping uh, parents and children do crisis counseling and grief counseling and trauma counseling, and just has some really great things to say. She's been featured all over, national news and everywhere, and has has really great books, best-selling books. So I think you're going to enjoy this conversation with Sissy Goff. I'm glad to have Sissy Goff back here on the Way Home Podcast. Uh, Sissy, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. Oh, I'm so honored to get to have a conversation with you. So I've been thinking a lot about you and uh, everyone there at Daystar over the last several months. You know, we moved, we lived in Nashville for almost 10 years and we moved to Texas about a year ago. Obviously, the the events of the last year have been kind of on our hearts here. Uh, It's probably, you know, when you read about these things, typically... They're in places that you you really sympathize, but they're not close to you, right? Yes, right. And so for 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 our family, this was probably, 
you know, the, you know, shooting mass shooting that really was the closest to us, knowing people that uh, lost children and all that. Mm. So you were in the thick of, of, of that, you know, three miles from the school. I know that part of Nashville is a really tight community. So just maybe walk us through a little bit what that was like, not only grieving yourselves with friends, but also being in a place of serving mm. folks, children and parents and everything in the wake of everything. It's, you know, it's just hard to even put words around it. But yes, I mean, that the Covenant School is a school that's probably about three miles from my office in my house. We're all right there in the same vicinity. And I've spoken at the school and church a million times. Catherine Kuntz, the head of school, was a friend Mm and love, love the Covenant School. My sister got married in the church. I mean, just super connected over there. And so I was getting ready to go to work that day and a friend that I work with texted me and said, there's been a shooting at the covenant school. And you know, like you said, I mean, tragically anymore in our world, that does feel like something that happens, but not in your backyard. And so Mm -hmm. I just, I didn't even, I, I couldn't wrap my brain around it and drove to work and found out that it had in fact happened. And so by the time I got there, several of my coworkers were putting together kind of care packages, bottled water, all that stuff, because we knew the reunification center had been set up. And so they were immediately going down just to figure out how to help with kids. And I, because I have a sister who is 16 years younger than I am, and she has two little guys. And I just thought all of her friends, I mean, picking their kids up from school, what are they going to say? How are they going to explain it? So, I, I mean, I literally ran upstairs to my office, recorded a video to say, okay, parents, here's how you can talk to your kids. And then I went and got in my car and drove over there because like you said, I mean, you just know families impacted. And so spent the day at the reunification center and it was just, you know, it's one of those things like we do in times of trauma and grief, you just put one foot in front of the other. And all I could think was, how can I help? Where can I be there? And the families were just shocked. And again, as any parent would do, what can I say? How do I walk my kids through the fact that their best friends aren't going to be sitting next to them when they go back to school Mm. and that they Mm. have experienced this. And so we were just trying to be helpful in any way possible that day and in the aftermath. And, and thankfully I work with a bunch of amazing people. And so we set up a fund where basically we would counsel kids from covenant for as long as they needed it for free. I mean, Daystar's a nonprofit. And so we have gotten to walk with a lot of the families. And then David Thomas, who is a coworker mm-hmm. and dear friend, and you know, he and I ended up speaking to the Covenant School families, I think the next night and the teachers a couple of days later. So we got to be with all of those folks and put our arms around them and, and just try and shore them up in any way we could. But I mean, it's just... It's just unspeakable. And then, as I was saying to you before, we got on at Daystar, we have a little summer retreat program for the kids that are in counseling that I run. And so I have been up here at the lake for seven weeks. And I think, I mean, it's a very small camp, but I think we probably had 15 kids from the Covenant School and Mm. over the course of the summer. And again, I mean, I think that just getting to have those kids up at the lake and be on boats and laugh with them and pray with them and talk with them and hear where they are. One of the girls said this summer, it just feels like so much hope and healing, which is Mm. exactly what we Mm. want those kids to be experiencing. Yeah, that's so good. And I'm, I'm, 
you know, when, when we started hearing reports, immediately Daystar came to mind. I said, you know, thank God they're right there in the middle of it to, to minister to these families. Uh, we had one of my really good friends had two kids in the building and uh, we were getting reports and, you know, are they yeah. going to be okay? And then my wife was on a, a prayer chain with, with Jada, you know, mm-hmm. and then, you know, I have another friend, his wife was uh, at the, at the reunification site kind of at that church. So really close to it. The one thing I, I'm, I'm curious about too, you know, in the, in the immediate aftermath of a tragedy, there's a lot of, thankfully, a lot of help rushing in, yes. people rallying, the community rallying. But, you know, now is the time, several months past where you, that grief may be hardest, right? Where, you know, maybe the numbness and the adrenaline is worn off. So speak to that season too, when, when, when kind of the initial rush of, of help and comfort is gone, you know, people having to walk through that, you know, in this season. Yes. I I mean, I think that is one of the toughest parts for any of us who are grieving anything when the Mm -hmm. initial response fades. And, and I think especially thinking about those kids going back to school, I just have been thinking so much about them Mm. And what that feels like after a summer of reprieve in some ways and having to step back into some really scary things and the parents. I mean, it's interesting. I have I have made a friend since all of this with a counselor who was really involved with Sandy Hook, who reached out and was so kind and mm. supportive of our staff. And she said the two groups that struggled the most were the kids who were anxious already and the parents. And that is certainly what I've seen as a result of this, too. And so I think, you know, I feel like for kids at this point, you know, their grief is so much more transient than ours. They move in and out of it really quickly. And so I would say it's really the anxiety that I'm more concerned about for them right now and those parents and how for them to process their own emotions as they're watching their kids walk back into school. I mean, I think those are the toughest places right now. Mm. Well, thankfully, you have this new book that is coming out. It's called The Worry-Free Parent, Living in Confidence So Your Kids Can Too. And uh, here you talk about anxiety. It seems like today, is anxiety higher today than maybe at any other point? I've, I've read a lot of things where just because of the society we live in with the impact of social media, you know, we're more aware of, of tragedy, things that are happening all sorts of things. Do you feel like, you know, as a professional, do you feel like people are more anxious today than maybe in previous times? Uh, I definitely is there a do. For that? Yes. I mean, I, I've now been, it makes me feel so old to say it, but I've been counseling kids <laughs> and families for 30 years. And, and it's funny. I mean, I, I, I've written now four books, I think about anxiety. And when I started the process, it was higher than it had ever been pre COVID pre mm-hmm. I think the rise in school shootings, all that pre all the social media, I mean, everything, it's just gotten so much worse. And, and so, yes, I mean, now we are looking at one in four children with girls twice as likely one in three adolescents and one in three grownups with women twice as likely as men to deal with anxiety. And so it is rampant in our world with a lot of good reason, but I would say, working with kids and sitting here with you today, I mean, living with kids for the last seven weeks, (laughs) second through 12th graders. I mean, I'm more concerned than ever before that it's, and I want to say this so graciously to every parent who's listening, but I feel like in a lot of ways it's going kind of unchecked that we're Mm. not, 
doing the most important things I think we can do to help the kids we love. Mm. You say in the book that uh, anxiety is contagious. What do you mean by that? Well, I think there is, I mean, it's a a lot of ways. Um, But yes, as a parent, if you're dealing with anxiety, your kids are seven times more likely to deal with it themselves. But I would say anecdotally, now I have not done graphs and all the research officially Mm. in my office, but I think every time I sit with an anxious child, there's at least one anxious parent. And, Mm. And I believe, I mean, you know, Daniel, when you sit with someone who's really anxious, you can start Mm -hmm. to feel it wafting over in the room. And kids are so intuitive, so much more than we're aware of sometimes that I think they not only pick up on emotionally the waves of our anxiety, but literally there's something that happens when our amygdala hijacks our brain, which is what Mm. happens when we're anxious. That's the fight or flight region of our brain that triggers another person in our vicinity's amygdala. And so, you know, parents will say, I don't know what happens, but they were acting like a crazy person and screaming and having a meltdown. And all of a sudden I was right next to him doing it, too. And that is I mean, that's really a phenomenon that happens that we all jump into the amygdala driven emotion together, which is not helpful for kids. It's not helpful for us. Yeah. I mean, you know, as a parent, you know, we have three teens and a preteen. I have a daughter Mm -hmm. going to college, you know, so there's a lot of it. There's a lot of cause for worry and yes. anxiousness because you know you're in this phase of life. You're thinking, are they going to be okay? Are they going to make it? How are they going to do? But I have noticed, you know, if if we as parents are constantly in a state of worry and and you know it rubs off on our children. You know, yes. they look to us for security and stability. Um, so maybe talk a little bit about. A few th- obviously people need to get your book, but talk about a few things that parents can do to to create an environment where their their kids aren't always you know anxious and, and full of worry. Yeah, well, I, uh, so a couple of big picture things. One thing I would say is, I mean, I think I sit with so many parents who will come in and say things like, "Well, we're bringing our kids in because we have a limited amount of resources, and we'd rather use the funds to pay for their counseling than our own." Or, Mm. as we know, I mean, you describing your family life right now, we have a limited amount of time. And so if we're going to invest a weekly appointment, we're going to have them spend the time doing it and us driving them rather than us doing it ourselves. And I really would say 30 years of counseling, the best thing you can do for your kids is to do your own work in this area because it really is contagious as we're talking about. And so I think, number one, to see the reasoning behind it, because it spreads. And it's not even just the emotion in the moment that we catch on, but it's our response to our own anxiety. And that's where I think we are hindering the growth of kids because of what how we respond out of our own worry and anxiety. And I talk about p- the parenting strategies I see the most in the book. So that's one thing, I think, to realize the, the importance and the gravity of doing our own work. Number two, I've never sat with as many parents who I think feel like failures as I'm hearing today, as many parents who feel Mm. defeated. And I think that's only compounding the anxiety parents feel. And so a cognitive behavioral therapy tool, which is kind of the gold standard for dealing with anxiety, is called reframing. So, you know, it's like if I had a piece of art and I had a black frame around it, if I pop that off and all of a sudden put a white frame around it, it's going to look totally different. We're going to see different colors. Different things are going to come to the foreground. And so... Forefront. I don't think foreground's a word. Anyway, so I think 
What I want parents to do is to realize the same thing that I say to every kid. Every kid who I meet with who's anxious has a few things in common. They're really bright. They're really conscientious. They try so hard. They care so much. It's these amazing things about who these kids are that are the reason really that they deal with worry and anxiety. And the same is true for parents. And every parent I've ever met who worries worries because they care so much about their kids. They're trying so hard. They want so much to get it right. They want good things for their kids. And so when I think we can back up and even realize not just the anxiety, but often the anger that comes from the anxiety, because I would say that's the number one reason I think parents get angry with their kids is because in the moment they're wanting something good. They're wanting great things for their kids. But instead of Stopping and saying, it's really okay that they get another tardy. Going out the door, it's this whole mentality of, we've got to get there because you can't get another tardy and I've got to get you to school on time. And all of a sudden I'm screaming at you because you don't have your shoes. When really you (laughs) want your kids to get to school on time so they don't get in trouble. It's a great reason. And so when we can step back and say, okay, this is because I want good things for my kids. I'm really a good parent. Then I think we don't hit the shame spiral that causes more anxiety, more anger, and and defeats ourselves coming and going, really. So I would say that reframing is a really important tool. And then another super practical thing, I think, Daniel, is I love when parents develop code words. Families have code words. And so when you can feel in your body that anxiety rising up, and, and we all know what it feels like. We get tenser. Mm-hmm. We can start to get more frustrated. We breathe more quickly. All the different things that you have a word in your family that you say, and, and a silly word is often the best, whatever that word is that you say, you know, watermelon or let it go, or I don't know, something mm-hmm. that your family knows, this means we're all going to pause. Because when we are operating our, out of our amygdala, again, it's fight or flight. So there is a lot of unproductive emotion that's flying around that room. So when we can put a pause, then we can res- pull back for a minute and process our own feelings, get our bodies back to a calmer state, and then come back and have a conversation that's going to help everybody rather than one that's going to leave everyone in pieces because we're all saying things we regret. We'll be right back with our guests, but right now I'd like you to listen to a sample chapter of my book, Agents of Grace. I'm writing to say that God is still at work in the world and to say that Christian love and spiritual unity are still worth pursuing. While I've been hurt by Christians, I've also been immensely blessed by Christians. Brothers and sisters in Christ have been there for me in my pain. Single mothers who made meals when my wife endured a serious illness small group leaders who gave me money when I was suddenly unemployed and scared, a pastor who called and preached the word of God to me when I was in despair. I've been blessed by wise matriarchs with arthritic knees who called on spiritual fire from heaven on my behalf when I was weak. I've been healed by friends who left everything and came to my side when I needed hope. Thank you for listening to the sample chapter of Agents of Grace. As a reminder, you can get this book anywhere books are sold. You can go to my website, danieldarling.com, for more information. But for now, let's rejoin our conversation on the Way Home Podcast. And you mentioned something there about a lot of parents feel like failures. I wonder why that is. I mean, obviously, you know, personally, nothing is more humbling or humiliating than parenting, you know, all of your weaknesses and all of your, all of your, 
your hidden sins and tendencies are exposed, right? Because you have these these uh, other human beings in your presence, and there's there's potential conflicts and all that. But I also wonder too, sissy, if if some of that stems from our own insecurities, mm-hmm. and you know, sometimes parents consciously or subconsciously, we might be trying to correct in our kids what maybe we failed ourselves are perceived to have failed or we're, we're not secure in ourselves and who God has made us. So we're trying to create these sort of perfect kids. Um, yes. um, and, and maybe also just a lack of trusting that as much as we love our kids, God loves them more and is, in, is parenting even in, in those gaps where we fail. Mm, yes. So in, in all my anxiety books, I've broken them down to understanding help and hope. And, and what you said is where the whole book starts. It's with this book, I talk about Offering understanding for the past, help for the present, because anxiety kind mm-hmm. of pulls us out of the present and hope for the future. But that understanding our past, I think that is exactly what's happening. So often it's our own insecurities of what's happening with our kids in the moment and are they measuring up without ever intending to feel that way? Or it's seventh grade was awful for me and I had no friends. And so I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that my kids don't experience the same things that I did when I was this age. And then we get so anxious about it and more controlling, trying to control what's going on for them, which we can't. I mean, we know control is an illusion, right? especially maybe in the realm of parenting. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And I think of, you know, if you grew up really strict, you might think, well, I'm not going to do that again. So we're going to, I'm going to make sure I'm not that. Or if you grew up really uh, with, with no rules, you maybe think I'm not going to do that again. We're going to have tighten the rules here and that can produce anxiety. I, I like too, where you, you weave in really the, the clinical and the social, but also the spiritual, you know, and you, you talk in the end of, in the, in, in the end of the book about trusting God and, you know, you know, how do we, how do we instill in our children a trust in God that God is, he's sovereign. He's, uh, he's in control of all things, even when we don't seem in control. H- how do we do that in a way that both allows our kids to actually express their genuine feelings of, of uh, anxiety and worry, but also kind of train them to when things are in distress to go to the Lord and go to God for strength. Well, I think there are a few ways I would recommend for parents to do that. I mean, one is I think memorizing scripture together as a family and Mm. having verses that speak to the truth of that. You know, Mm. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There are so many verses about do not fear. Pick any of them that always follow up with the reason we don't have to fear. I mean, every one of those verses gives us context of why we don't have to be afraid. And so having some truth that that we anchor to, that we can anchor them to. But I think in that, and I love that you mentioned this, I think we want to hear their worries first. We don't want to just jump to that because that's going to feel more like we're diminishing and minimizing their feelings and they're going to be less likely to receive the truth when they feel minimized. And so when we can say, tell me what that's like for you, or it seemed like you were pretty anxious driving to school today or whatever it was. Now tell me about that. And 
And what do you think is a truth that we've talked about before that would help? I mean, where we're, we're walking them through the process, but I think, so I think there's a teaching aspect with it, but I think modeling what we're going through too, to say, you know, I want parents to be talking about emotions. I want them to be talking about their emotional and spiritual lives together in front of kids regularly, because I don't think we pair those two things enough. And so then I think our faith often becomes irrelevant to our emotional lives. Mm. And kids need to believe that that faith is what undergirds our emotional lives every single day. And so to to say things like, I had to make a presentation at work today and man, worry started telling me I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't have anything good to say. And then I remembered the truth of, do not worry about anything, but with prayer and petition, present your request to God and the peace of God, which, you know, that we go back to that we're talking about our own worry. And then we're talking about what gives us peace spiritually in the midst of that. You know, we talk about raising boys and girls all the time. Kids learn more from observation than information. Mm. And so when they're hearing us say these words and talking about how we're processing it, they're going to catch it that much more. Mm. Yeah. I think about that a lot, like the importance of of showing our kids and hey, I'm I'm struggling with this, but here's what the Lord's teaching me, and you know that giving them permission to kind of have that same emotional and spiritual journey. I love the yes. fact that you have uh, in the middle of it, you have help for your body, help for your mind, and help for your heart, and just love the way that you sort of integrate all of this. You know, we tend to separate the mind and the body and the heart. You know, maybe we feel like we have to be stoic and the, you know, but, and not listen to the, our body or vice versa. And so I love the way that you integrate all three of those. Uh, so, so uh, really helpfully, if you're talking to parents uh, today, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons and, and sort of negative influences that kids can have that can ramp up their anxiety. Maybe it's uh, peer pressure at school, maybe, you know, the constant presence of social media, if they're on social media or, or other factors that, you know, maybe when we were growing up, we didn't have those kinds of things. So what yes. are some practical tips you give parents, you know, to create environments? Obviously, we can't control everything, right? Sometimes right. sometimes evil invades our environment as it happened in this school shooting or other things happen. But what are some ways we parents can create environments that, you know, help our kids not be so anxious? You know, I, I would say the primary one is that we keep the lines of communication open, that we create mm. a lot of opportunity and atmosphere, especially as kids are getting older, where we are doing a lot of listening. Because I think there almost is an inverse relationship between the older kids get, the more we teach, the less they talk. And so I think with adolescents, particularly, we want to do a lot of talking, having conversations side by side rather than face to face because they start to feel threatened. <laughs> I think when we're asking really direct questions and when we're teaching a lot, obviously, but but that we go walk the dog together, we bake a cake together, or we go get coffee together. Or even I think it's why we have some of our best conversations with teenagers driving in the car, because we're both looking straight ahead rather than eyeball to eyeball. And, and that we're just saying things like, tell me what that's like for you. Or, hey, I remember you said your friend was really struggling with X. What's that been like for them? And, you know, I didn't grow up with social media. What is what really what is it like to be 14 and everybody is on it and you're not yet. Or, you know, just that we're asking thoughtful questions, not only 
so they know we're really interested and in tune as much as we can be to what their world is like. But when we ask questions, we're also giving them opportunities to think for themselves and start to connect the dots. And we can't connect the dots for them once they're gone, uh, not in our, under our roofs anymore. And so, you know, how can we do that? But I think really the best way to have influence on our kids is to keep the lines of communication open. And so that would be one thing. And another would be, I think we want to be aware of putting boundaries around outside influences and particularly I would say technology. And, and as simple as that sounds, I just know so many parents who get behind the eight ball on that and miss the opportunity early on. And so I think whatever it looks like for your family to take Sabbaths together, to decide you're going to have rules around screen time, that's really important for families. And, and as you're not using screen time to have more time to connect as a family. And then I would say, I mean, the third probably primary thing, I think kids feel more pressure than I've ever seen to excel academically, athletically, artistically in all the areas. And I think that is significantly contributing to anxiety, maybe particularly among girls, but I definitely think some boys too. And so what does it look like as a family to dial down some of that pressure, to have conversations about what really are our priorities together? Because we can't do 10 sports a season and we mm. can't, you know, we've got to have a night a week that everyone is sitting around the dinner table having conversations. No one is running off to a lesson or practice or game. And so what can we do to slow down? Because I think the overscheduling and the overpressure is a significant piece of it right now. Mm, that's such a great word. Such a great word. Well, I really appreciate Sissy, you coming on here and, and talking with us today and sharing about this. I want to encourage folks to get this book, The Worry-Free Parent, Living in Confidence So Your Kids Can Too. By the way, my wife is a huge fan of uh, your book, Are My Kids on Track? Okay. You know, the about the emotional, spiritual milestones and, and regularly recommends that to a lot of parents and uh, teaches through that. So thank you. Tell her I said thank you. I will. And thankful for your, your work there and your ministry and really what God has allowed you to do in the wake of uh, the tragedy in Nashville. But thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, I always enjoy getting to talk to you. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. Thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast. Podcast.